0: I am Brother Cornell West. This is Chris Hedges. I'm Rosa Clemente. Hey, what's up? This is Chuck D, Public Enemy Profits Rage. And this is Newsbeat.
1: Peace and love, everybody. It's your man, Manny Faces, bringing you This Week in Social Justice, presented by the Newsbeat Podcast, as you heard some... Some people, I don't know who they are, but they said that uh, we're us, so good for them. Uh, We're here every Wednesday night live and direct at 8 p.m. Eastern, Eastern, Eastern time on your Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook dials uh, this week in social justice. Uh, It's not entirely clear, but what we like to go over is things that happened this week. In the world of social justice. I'm not sure if y'all got that for the title. I'm your man Manny Faces, the conductor of this wild train, joined as always by my uh friends and colleagues, Mr. Christopher towarski the editor-in-chief of both Newsbeat and This Week of Social Justice, and Rashed Mian, the managing editor of both, as well, respectively. Gentlemen, what's good? How are you? What's up, man? Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm doing pretty good. Uh, you know, still digging out of boxes because I moved recently, as we talked about last week. Uh, and just as a shout-out to the people who are watching this. We put a lot of work into this show and we really do a lot at the last minute. And I need y'all to appreciate that <laughs> quietly to yourselves because and my, my brothers know what I'm talking about. Anyway, um, so yes, we are rocking. We are still going. Of course, if you're watching on the video tip, we are a full fledged podcast, uh, an award winning podcast. I'll get to that in a second. Uh, but we've won several awards in the past, uh, covering social justice uh topics, uh, very deeply, uh, very um in intricately and intimately uh, compelling way mixing music with high-level journalism. So we'll interview uh, very uh, acclaimed uh, experts and, and activists uh, about issues at hand that sometimes don't get the right attention via mainstream media and sometimes even not through alternative media. Uh, we mix those episodes with music and very often our sort of secret sauce is that we'll very often bring in independent hip-hop artists to uh, craft original lyrics for that Episode. It's crazy. It's like a documentary and a music video all rolled into one. Uh, we've done a great number of uh, episodes. that have cre- covered a great number of topics. So if you're watching us on the video tip and you like what we do here, make sure you listen to the Newsbeat the podcast wherever you find podcasts. Uh, that's actually uh, the um, kind of core of who we are. We branched off and started doing this show uh, last year at some point and came back to bring you every uh, Wednesday now pretty consistently this week in Social Justice. So I just want people who are watching to know that we're a podcast and people who are listening on the podcast to know that this is actually a live video feed you should join us every wednesday 8 p.m eastern on youtube find us at usnewsbeat.com slash twizzage which is stands for This Week in Social Justice. Or if you can't remember that, usnewsweek.com slash watch. You'll have all the past episodes as well as links to watch current episodes. So now that that's out of the way, gentlemen, please tell me why I am why I sound excited because I'm excited about tonight's show. We have two illustrious guests. Sometimes we have one illustrious guest. Sometimes we have one horrible guest. No, I'm just kidding. We never have horrible <laughs> guests. Um, we do all right. We do pretty good over here. Uh, but please one time tell we us- had a guy with a fish. We had a guy with a, a, a cuttlefish or a, a, a some ancient cephalopod or whatever. Uh, sometimes right. we get abducted by UFOs on the show. It's actually wild. That's right. Um, but this week, uh, please, gentlemen, we have two guests. Uh, please describe them uh, in uh, brief detail.
2: Yeah, sure. So uh, first up, and I think he's already waiting on us, is Lewis Conway Jr., National Campaign Strategist for the ACLU. And uh, Lewis will be on to talk about um, this. Um, thing that the Biden administration is doing where they're basically backing a directive put out by the Trump administration that will eventually send thousands of people back to federal prison who were released because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And then about around 8.30 or so, we're going to have Dr. Ram Sundarish. He's a co-author of a groundbreaking study that came out earlier this month that connected incarceration with uh, worse health outcomes for family members of people who are incarcerated or formerly incarcerated. It's really a mind blowing study and research that they did connecting all the dots with the consequences of mass incarceration in this country. So we are looking forward to that.
1: Incredible topics to talk about uh, as someone, as you guys know, that has a, you know, brother from another mother that is currently incarcerated. uh, That uh, topic uh, means a lot to me. So before we get into uh, uh, Mr. Conway, jr uh we will uh i just want to make an announcement normally we do news bites and we do little snippets of news that you might not have heard about we're gonna do them uh either between our guests or after our guests uh we wanted to keep uh be respectful of uh of time and schedule uh but uh i have about two minutes to tell you uh that the new york times ain't jack like the wall street journal is whack uh bloomberg news can't hold a torch None of y'all are seeing us right now. uh, WNYC, WNYC, zilch. Not enough. Mm -hmm. They got they got Brian Lehrer. I don't care. I don't care. What about what about CBS News and Politico? CBS News can 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 get these nuts. Politico got nothing on us. What about the Associated Press? I'm sorry, Bloomberg News. No, none of these. None of them because we Pineapple Street Radio. We Newsbeat Podcast best journalism podcast of the year at the new york press club awards this is major because yes all of those aforementioned cornball ass outlets Ain't <laughs> lost got nothing to us the podcast of the year we won for a very important we this now this is the second time we won this award we won it back in 2018 uh again beating the same cadre of uh outlets it's an amazing thing because a, a podcast rappers in it uh was the best journalism podcast of the year um this year because of covid we obviously weren't we didn't have a lot a lot of our episodes didn't have our amazing artists shouts to silent night the band called fuse who were featured in our prior uh win uh, we weren't able to use our artists this year as much as we'd like to, uh, but this uh, episode was extremely important to us. Uh, we were incredibly proud to put it together, and we felt that it was super important because at a time when most of these outlets themselves uh, were not saying the names or centering the the stories uh, or the historic uh, uh, stories for sh- for sure of state violence against black women and girls in America. We did, and we did a
3: really an amazing episode
1: about it. Um, who do we have on this episode? Please just let people know real quick.
3: Yeah, we had uh, Michelle Jacobs, a professor of law, um, and we had Andrea Ritchie, an uh, author and a researcher and activist. And they broke down uh, really the the historical legacy of these horrors uh, from the foundation of, of our country up through to the uh, police brutality cases of today, yep. Um, and as Manny mentioned, you know, um, you know, during the George George Floyd rebellion, um, you know, a lot of of male victims were getting attention, r- rightfully so, deservingly so, mm-hmm. but completely left out of these conversations were all the women and the mm-hmm. girls um, who, you know, uh, I mean, hundreds have been, you know, slain, um, and our experts, you know. Um, Michelle Jacobs and and Andrea Ritchie really, really uh, painted this moving, moving chronicling of these crimes. Um, And, you know, the lead for that story, uh, which is on our website, um, starts with Andrea Ritchie just saying to us, you know, I'm looking at a poster in my room right now with the names of 100 slain black women and girls, and it starts with a three-year-old, you know, Yeah, Um, yeah, it's just, you know completely underreported. And, you know, we dedicate, you know, as many said, this is a huge prestigious award. All the mainstream outlets, especially in New York, are part of this thing. We took it and, you know, we really dedicate this award to the two guests we had on that episode who have dedicated their lives yep. to telling these stories. And also we dedicate this, you know, to, to the victims and the survivors And, you know, we implore all of the, all of those aforementioned media outlets to cover this story. Yeah. We call upon them to do so and we're going to continue to do so as well.
1: Yeah. I think we're going to spend some time revisiting this episode in depth, obviously, along with the win, uh, there's supposed to be some kind of, you know. Uh, unveiling of awards or whatever and we'd love to uh dedicate a uh, an episode of this week in social justice to this so more on this to come please check on our podcast feed where you could find this episode or our website usnewsbeat.com i just want to play a quick snippet this is a uh one of our snippets from this episode and they will move on to tonight's first guest uh just to give you a taste of what this sounds like i joke about all the outlets you know that we uh uh you know smacked and dropped the uh the elbow on uh but um really proud of this episode. Uh, it's, it's a story we wish we didn't have to tell, uh, but we are very, like you said, um, honored by our guests and the stories uh, that were shared with us and that we were able to give some life to. So here's a snippet from Say Her Name, uh, confronting 400 years of state violence against Black women and girls. Certainly, state-sponsored violence
3: against
4: Black women has existed from the moment the first Black woman was dragged to the shores.
3: Considered as a foremother of the African American community, historians believe Angelo boarded a ship in Angola before heading to Vera Cruz and finishing her voyage in Jamestown on the James River. She appears in the colony's census documents in 1624 and 1625. She worked for a wealthy family and lived alongside white servants.
4: The women weren't just stuffed into the boats, but of course they were also used as tools of pleasure for the sailors who were on the boats. So not only were they they shackled to other human beings in these insufferable conditions, but they were also brought on board to be raped and to be used as sexual tools for the sailors. So there's never been a time in the entire United States history where Black women have not been violently assaulted, both by the state as well as individuals. From that moment forward, Black women have, and, and in the moments leading up to that, through kidnapping from the African continent, through the Middle Passage, Black women have experienced all of the same forms of state-sponsored violence, state-sanctioned violence, and state violence as Black men and Black people of all genders. And additionally, have been subject.
1: Obviously, there's so much more. Um, it's hard to just hear them talking about it, but it is uh, ultimately incredibly important that we do so and and uh, and give them the space. Uh, And the platform to do so. Uh, Very proud of this. And again, uh, 2021 Journalism Podcast episode of the year, New York Press Club. So thank you to them for recognizing our work. All right, gentlemen, let's go. I have a little flashy, cool thing that says, welcome to our guest. So let's do it.
2: Gentlemen, welcome our guest. All right. We are honored today to have Lewis Conway uh junior national campaign strategist for the ACLU. Chris just mentioned people dedicating their lives to helping people. Lewis is doing just that. Lewis, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight.
0: Thank you for having me. It's an absolute honor, particularly the work that you guys are doing on a weekly basis. Thank you for uh, having I, me. We appreciate it, Lewis.
2: Definitely. Um, so th- there's an important story that's ongoing that's getting some coverage, but I still don't know um, how much it's penetrating, you know, the consciousness of people Um, So we're really hoping that you could break it down. So, Lewis, um, can you just explain for the people who are unaware what's happening to the thousands of people who were released from federal prison by the Trump administration uh, at the height of COVID-19 and how the Biden administration is responding to that?
0: Thank you for uh, actually raising the amplification on this issue. And I'm not certain a lot of folks Have heard the term CARES, but I don't know if they know what that stands for: Corona, Virus, Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act, right? It was the CARES Act. And it was designed to be a pressure valve um, for the federal prison system, but also, you know, provide some compassion to people who are in cages during the height of the of COVID on the pandemic. And since that, since that time, There's been this surge of belief that because, um, you know, folks have been vaccinated because COVID numbers have dropped. For some reason, those folks that were allowed to be sent home to home confinement, for some reason, the Office of Legal Counsel, which is a department of the Department of Justice, believes that almost 4000 people who have been home since January, should go back to prison. Um, now, now, we believe that this is a, a canary in a coal mine moment for Biden in regards to compassion, in regards to really holding to the campaign promises he made Black folks while he ran. And um, just being you know a bit frank, also, going back to the 94 crime bill, right? Uh, so, oh, yeah, definitely. Right? So, so we feel like there, there are some things that we don't believe holding people you know, to the fire for the rest of their lives. But certainly, we believe in holding folks accountable that ran on a certain platform, uh, which um, indicated that they would employ compassion, reason, and not punishment. As a means of reducing the impact of mass incarceration on American families, is that helpful?
3: Yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, now, Lewis, I'm wondering if you've had a chance to speak with any of these people, and if so, sort of, what's you know, what's their emotions like? What's what's going on over there in their households?
0: You know, several of the families. You know, we believe that people are experts in their own conditions, and As we are looking uh, to talk to Biden, we want to make sure that the folks who are directly impacted by these issues are doing the most talking. And so folks um, across the nation are dealing with having come home to their families, being able to father again, being able to mother again, in some cases even have an opportunity of going to college, um, doing things that, Um, obviously, if they were in prison, they wouldn't be able to do. But I think more importantly, because they're out of prison, they're able to do. And so, you know, the feeling is, I'm finally home with my family. And you're going to rip our family apart? I'm finally out of that cage. And now I have to go back. And I think it's it's so important for us to remember that the folks who were released were released were first step act eligible, even more so. They even made the uh, conditions more stringent. So these folks haven't convic- haven't been convicted of anything more than a white-collar crime or a drug-related crime. Not that we should delineate between those two, but just to kind of, you know, assuage people's fears. Those folks that we're talking about, the 4,000 people who were released were folks who were elderly, the folks who um, had been convicted of nonviolent crimes, folks who, um, in most cases, shouldn't have been there in the first place. So, so let's get that, so let's be clear there. The, the the onus of the people that we're talking about sending back to prison shouldn't have been there in the first place, and I think that that's that part of it is, is missed, yeah,
2: definitely. And uh, Louis, thank you for bringing up the um, what these people were initially charged of, especially the drug crimes, obviously, which we know still has an ongoing The, the drug war is still ongoing, and it's it's hurting people, even who were arrested and convicted uh, years or decades ago. Uh, Louis, um. Can you just, uh, the COVID experience was sort of, you know, a lot of experts pointed to that as this pivotal moment, especially in this era of mass incarceration, where we can take this as an opportunity to release people, decarcerate the prisons and jails in this country. Um, and it seems like we're obviously going a step back in some cases. So can you just, um, sort of talk about the importance you mentioned earlier, but of, of decarcerating during COVID just because of how, um, that disease spreads like wildfire and other diseases spread like wildfire inside these institutions and and sort of why it's still important.
0: Absolutely. And, and I, I'll take that in two pieces. I think what's most important is that the, the most effective vaccination is decarceration. Right. Um, time and time again, the science has shown us that the less amount of people that is in a confined space or in a space period, the less transmissible the virus is. Um, and so what we have tried to show from the very beginning is that science has indicated that when you depopulate these these correctional facilities, jails, prisons, and detention centers, you, you dramatically reduce the transmission the the transmission rate, but also the infection rate, which subsequently impacts the death rate. And and so far, there have been, um, you know, almost 2,000 people who have died from from COVID. And while that doesn't, you know, seem like a lot compared to the amount of people that have died in America, you you know, there's 2,000 people in my neighborhood. Yeah. And those are folks that died because (laughs) they they, they were not sentenced to death. They were sentenced based upon us not knowing how to handle social uh, control beyond the cage. Nonetheless, the the threat of COVID then is almost as, um, has almost been exasperated because the root issue has never been dealt with in jails, prisons, and detention centers. Um, even now, guards are refusing to get vaccinated. Even now, the, the, the rise in death rates um, are is indicative of the fact that the way we are approaching the coronavirus in jails, prisons, and detention centers has been uh, a, a lambasted failure. Yeah. Now, with the Delta variant, we, we are actually considering taking people who have been home and putting them in an environment where they can possibly contract an even deadlier iteration of this virus. Not because they did something wrong. Not because they came home and improved their lives. But because the OLC, the Office of Legal Counsel, is bent on following this directive to the letter. Now, I think it's very important to understand: we're not asking Congress to do anything. All we're asking Biden to do is is <laughs> keep to your word, do what you said you were going to do. But it's not hard. It's, it's not even a process or a procedure question. It's about signing an executive order in in, in compassion. saying that these folks not only deserve to stay home, but they shouldn't have been locked up in the first place. But the only way for us to restore the soul of America is to begin to deal with those folks in those cages.
3: And Lewis, if if Biden goes through with this, as you mentioned, and and we all know his stated stated reforms, wouldn't this be uh, hypocritical and if so, how does the normal, how does the, how does the common person uh, call them out on that?
0: You know, as we are watching, you know, plea bargains being handed out for attacking the Capitol, as we are watching police officers tearfully replay the events of that day, we are actually find it com- com- complexing. That we're having this conversation about keeping people out of prison uh, while we have folks attack the Capitol and we're giving them plea bargains. Not that we are comparing that in any sense, but we're saying, you know, let's fix one thing first, which is something you broke 30 years ago. Let's fix that first. Let's hold you to what you said you were going to do, which is reduce the impact and uh, the footprint of mass incarceration and black and brown communities, if we voted for you. And most importantly, let's begin to look at compassion as an antidote to mass incarceration because punishment in cages hasn't worked thus far.
2: Yeah, and uh hey Lewis, um, so Often don't like to throw it throughout these stats because, you know, people, um, like you mentioned, this nation has yet to deal with the societal problems that have contributed to mass incarceration and why people are in this situation. Um, But there's, I think it was the director of the the federal uh, prison uh, system himself who said of the 20,000 people um, recently released over a few years, about only 20 people recommitted. Crimes, All right. So it shows that releasing people work. So can you just talk about that, how d- releasing people and the way in which you do it um, is better for society?
0: Absolutely. You know, when we talk about the economic vitality of America right now and how businesses are having a difficult time finding employees, it's not because there are not employees available. It's because we have set this certain standard of employment that is based upon a person's worst day of their life for the rest of their lives. You know, the fact that I did eight years in prison, 12 years on parole has nothing to do with my ability to run a cash register. And as we look at the the long term impact of of our approach to reducing crime and our approach to addressing crime, what we've actually done is created a third class citizen within our citizenry, within our citizen ranks. And it's, it's a permanent class. You know, I I got convicted when I was 22 years old, I am 51 and just last month, you know, my wife and I were attempting to, to find a home and, Governor Murphy signed a fair house, a fair chance housing act, and so what they use in response is a credit report. So I did twelve years on parole. I couldn't find employment. McDonald's wouldn't hire me. So of yeah. course my credit has a hole in. Then I've got child support payments that show up as loans. They don't show up as child support payments. They don't say I'm paying on those. It just shows up as an outstanding loan. And so my point is, as folks are leaving prisons, jails, and institutions, not only are they dealing with the trauma of being in a cage, but they're also dealing with trying to reacclimate themselves to an environment that has become not only adverse to their families, but adverse to them entering back into it. Yet, our economy depends on fair chance housing. Our economy depends on fair chance hiring. Uh, I, I would I would venture to say that there is not one store owner, one 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 business owner that doesn't want everyone in the community around his store employed. You know, I'm I'm, uh, I'm quick to say that the best way to stop a bullet is with a job. Right. And so, as we are looking at addressing mass incarceration, we really have to think about. The way law enforcement undergirds our economic system. Now I'm taking off my ACLU hat for a moment <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and talking <laughs> and talking about how, you know, we've got school police, we've got park police. We got state police, we got federal police, we got secret police, we got secret police that watch the secret police. We got judges, we got lawyers, we got courtrooms, so our whole economic system is built upon its law enforcement structure. And we wonder why there's such a push to get people back in there. And we wonder why there's such a rush to make sure that we don't legalize marijuana as quickly as possible, and, 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 and that we still are locking folks up in states where marijuana is legal. There are folks still doing time right? because of there's a law and for there is an economic um, incentive to incarcerate black and brown bodies at a rate that is has been indicative. of of why mass incarceration has become such um, a decimating uh, impact on black and brown communities across the country. As as you've often heard the the statistics, we hold 5% of the world's population, but 25% of the world's prison population. Even on the best days, those ratios don't play out. Is that helpful? Yeah, that's incredible, incredible insights um, and horrifically underreported. As you know. And I'm jealous of Manny's glasses and his hat and, <laughs> and, and and those headphones. I just want you to know off top. And my
1: it's all it's all I contribute to the show.
0: If my wife was here, <laughs> she would tell you that you are a fashion icon.
2: <laughs> I, I appreciate that. You, uh, just, you don't need to blow you need to blow his head we're, we're gonna, gonna be hearing about this
1: every future show now yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> i gotta give props or props to do
1: it's all good <laughs> you know I, I was initially upset i thought we were having conway the machine on the show you know what i mean but buffalo just-
0: new york listen i've been trying to reach out to my brother i'm like conway conway it's your <laughs> bro let's go you know uh i got a son in rochester you know i'm originally from austin texas okay uh, and so when i found about can't wait a machine. I told my wife. I say, babe, we got a family of buffalo. <laughs> we don't even know we got a family of right. buffalo. It's my man. <laughs> right, right. Gris- represent. <laughs> All good. Absolutely, All good. you guys do great work, and I'm uh, uh, I'm honored and humbled to be on your show.
3: Appreciate you. We're honored and humbled to have you. Um, and I just have one last question for you. I want to bring it back to the to our first question, really about that impact. On families, um, and now our next guest after you, Dr. Ram Sandaresh, uh, he just co-authored this study on incarceration and family health, and and just basically underscoring how when you lock someone up and you put them in a cage, you're not just locking up an individual and putting them in a cage; you're putting an entire family, you're putting their friends and family. So, I was wondering if you could just talk a little more. Just about, you know, these people are home now. Like you said, they're back being fathers, they're back being mothers. And just what this is going to do, what what Biden's going to do to these families.
0: That's such a salient point. When you talk about the collateral consequences, um, you know, the collateral benefits of compassion, the collateral consequences of taking a punishment route towards incarceration and towards our criminal uh, system, I think, um, you know, it's 4,000 people that we're able to index but the impact is exponential you know every individual has at least two parents so (laughs) that brings that four thousand already up to eight thousand um some folks you know at least have one child most folks have two so now that numbers up to sixteen thousand folks who are impacted Um, You know, some folks went to prison and their grandmother. They were taking care of their grandmother. They were taking care of their grandfather. They were taking care of their aunts. So when you look at the exponentiality of the impact of locking folks up, bringing folks home and sending them back, you're literally talking about tens and thousands of folks who are going to be impacted. Hmm. Um, Again, these folks should have never been locked up in the first place. I think it's it's important for us to keep that kind of forward. Secondly, they should never be eligible to be sent back. Having them in prison has done nothing for our safety. Having them in prison has only harmed our economy. Having them in prison has only decimated their families destroyed the connective tissues of our community and literally dissolved the fabric of our democracy. And so at what point are we going to look to compassion as an antidote to mass incarceration? Hmm.
2: It's uh, amazing, uh, Lewis, and we really appreciate it. Just really quick, um, if you could help people out, let them know um, sort of what, what they can do to maybe spread the word and, um, inform you know their their family and friends, and also reach the Biden administration. Um, I know there was a Twitter hashtag that went viral, but um, so can you just talk about ways in which people can get involved really quick?
0: Absolutely. One well, the first aclu.org is clemency We have a, a, a petition that we're going to present to uh, the Biden administration. You Can also uh, again go to ACLU.org and we it's got a CARES Act package, right? Um right. but but I think most importantly is for you to reach out to your congressman and 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 really share with them what you believe you know compassion means mm-hmm. and 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 what you believe he should do in regards to what he said he would do. Right. I yeah, think that's most important.
2: Definitely. We have to hold people accountable, especially people holding the most powerful office in the land. Louis, again, thank you so much. We really thank appreciate you so your much. time, your insights. You um, you're invaluable uh, to, to this episode today. So thank you so much. Um, Louis, uh, again, take care. And we hope to talk to you again soon.
0: You guys, have a good one. I appreciate you.
2: Thank you, sir.
1: Appreciate you. There it is. Louis Conway Jr. breaking it Incredible. down. Wow. Incredible. Mm. Um, Like I said, as someone with a, you know, with someone incarcerated right now, who's close to me as a brother, it all, you know, hits home and, and, uh, uh, that compassion angle is, uh, super important.
2: Yeah. I I mean, uh, he broke it. I mean, uh, (coughs) I just like the way that he kept going back to sort of holding people accountable. Um, I know there's so much to do, um, in politics, there's so much to focus on, um, but this will have immediate consequences on people's lives. Uh, We don't know when this pandemic, who knows when it's going to end. We have surges, uh, but I just can't imagine what people are thinking right now in their heads, um, what their family members are thinking as they sit at home at night, wondering if and when they're going back to prison.
3: Yeah. And, and, you know, the fact that he brought up as well, the, this uh, rapidly spreading Delta variant, right. You know, so they're going to put all these people back in there (laughs) just as this thing's hitting again. I mean, it's, you know,
1: well listen i love how you guys went into uh you know the and how lewis went into the exponential effects on family members on community really if it goes past family into community uh but i think this segues nicely into our next guest who is waiting in the electronic wings as it were so allow me once again to play the flashy cool thingy thing that says welcome our guest
2: All right. So now we have joining us uh, Dr. Ram Sunderesh, who co-authored a ground ba- groundbreaking study recently on incarceration and family health and all the consequences of that. Um, doctor, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's and I really appreciate it. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. It's good to be here. Yeah, and um, uh, if you can, I just want you to sort of um, explain um, the study. Um, what were your findings, and what was sort of uh, why was it so important for you? To do this,
4: yeah, yeah. So, uh, so first of all, we were looking at, you know, what are the effects on family members? You know, I think we've had it sounds like there's been a really rich discussion already about what are the impacts of incarceration? How does that affect communities and and our fabric of society? And there, there's already a lot of uh, really strong data on on all the different facets of life that that get affected by incarceration. You know, financial, social, health impacts. Um, and and we wanted to explore further. Um, not only how does this affect family members, but what does this look like for their overall well-being? And um, by well-being, what we meant was, um, what what is the holistic quality of someone's life? Are they are they suffering? Are they surviving? Are they thriving? Um, and 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 what does that look like with with these experiences? And and I think a, a lot of people out there who have had family members incarcerated already experience this, and they know what that's like. And and so we wanted to shed light on this with data. Um, so we could show the rest of the world what the, what these families already know about these experiences that that, that it really negatively impacts well-being, um, and and we we also wanted to look at um, in addition to well-being, um, if we could uh, calculate estimates of life expectancy, uh, because there's already so much data on how how much this affects health and and um, different aspects of you know physical health and mental health substance use. Um, And and we wanted to look at how does this affect health disparities? Uh, We know that there is such a large disproportionate impact of incarceration on Black and Brown communities. um, And we know that there's uh, a lot of health disparities that these communities already face. Um, And so we wanted to look at uh, at what are the associations with with life expectancy um, when you start to look at these different um, family member incarceration experiences. And so um, the main things that we found are that... uh, Perhaps not sur- uh, not not surprisingly, uh, having a family member incarcerated is associated with lower well-being in basically every domain, physical health, mental health, social, financial, spiritual well-being. Um, it's also associated with lower life expectancy. But what we didn't expect was just how strong of, of a, an association that was. It's almost 2.6 years lower life expectancy for having um, an immediate family member incarcerated. Wow. Um, so it's it, it's really profound, especially when you think about how many uh, people out there have had a family member incarcerated and and just the, the the repercussions on on health and well-being and disparities in our nation.
3: Uh, doctor yeah, and and you know as we as we discussed uh, just previously, um, you know the United States is the the world's uh, leading uh, prison state. Um, and so you know, I'm curious what percentage of people surveyed Reported having an incarcerated or formerly incarcerated uh,
4: family member, and did you did you guys break that down by race and gender? We did, we did. So, um, about forty five percent of people in the United States overall have have ever had a family member incarcerated, and um, within uh, Black individuals, that number is even higher, sixty three percent, and and that really reflects uh, just how different the system is based on who you are. Um, and, and the amount of resources you have, and, and this is a very racialized system, um, which is not news, but just the, just the sheer numbers, is 63% of Black individuals having an immediately mem- member incarcerated is, is pretty mind-blowing when you just consider how many millions and millions of people that is.
3: Yeah, and, and, and on that note, um, what can you tell us about how incarceration specifically impacts the Black community? And those families in particular?
4: Yeah, 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 that's a really good question. So, um, a lot of the research that's out there that have tried to tease apart what are the mechanisms of how this is um, actually playing out, um, it, it, for example, like it, it, within the domain of physical health, um, people have less material support, they have a lot more stress, um, that manifests as, as having more chronic medical conditions that are harder to control, uh, people have higher blood pressure, people are more overweight, uh, there's a, a greater mental health um, effect. Um, and when, when you look at, um, for example, all the different ways that, it, you know, different family member roles are affected, um, if, if you have, um, you know, let's say your parents are incarcerated, then you don't have someone that's taking care of you. Um, and, and that role may fall onto someone else who then has even more on their plate. Um, and they're getting even more spread thin. It's harder for them to keep up with their job. It's harder for them to take care of their own health. Um, and all these things start to snowball. Um, if if you have a, a spouse or a partner who's incarcerated, um, you have less emotional support. Um, your mental health is going to suffer. You have less social well-being. You're less engaged with your community. Um, it's harder for you to access health care. Um, uh, all these different mechanisms are what's panning out in, in all all the rest of the literature and and, and what people are experiencing day to day. And doctor, um, I
2: know for years, women were the fastest growing part of the prison population. And obviously a lot of those women are mothers. Um, Is there anything in your research uh, sort of detailing the impact um, that's had on families
4: as well? So, so our, our research hasn't specifically looked at the, the mother child relationship. But you're right, there is a lot of research that has um, and it, there, there are a lot of negative consequences in both directions. Um, being the child of someone uh, who's a mother who's incarcerated has a lot of negative outcomes and, and and being a mother who is themselves incarcerated has a lot of negative outcomes. Um, and, and so it, it does go in both directions. Our, our particular study looked at um, uh, kind of all comers. So we looked at all immediate family members as well as um, extended family members. So we looked at, you know, uh, uh, partners, parents, um, children with an immediate and then with an extended family members that, that goes out as far as, you know, cousins, aunts, uncles, grandparents. Um, and, and so we can really start to see these, like, intergenerational effects. Um, and, you know, for example, uh, at some of the, the previous literature has shown that, you know, there definitely are these intergenerational effects. And, um, you know, if you have uh, an adult who's incarcerated, the grandparents... Um, Uh, or the the elderly parents of that uh, adult who is incarcerated then may have greater uh, caregiving responsibilities. Um, And that can affect mental health, that can affect finances, um, that can affect physical health. Um, And and so the the same is certainly true of the the mother-child relationship as well and and has really important implications for um, not only the racial disparities, but the the gender disparities as well when we think about the um, disproportionate effect on women. Yeah,
2: and and when I saw this study, I, I, to me, first I I I was sort of amazed to be honest, because I don't, I don't think I ever saw anything like this before. Um, though there, you know, people do look at the collateral consequences and everything like that, but not this sort of holistic, um, approach to incarceration. What um do you think lawmakers and policymakers can sort of leverage from this to try to help improve? people's lives. I know obviously one answer is to, is obviously decarceration. We just have too many people in, in, in jails and prison, but I'm just wondering what you think they can, they can leverage to, um, from this research that you did.
4: Yeah, definitely. So I think decarceration, decarceration, that's the, that's the elephant in the room. Um, th- the more we can decarcerate, the better we can prevent a lot of these negative outcomes that our data and, and, and so many other projects out there have, have uh, been showing for years. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of different ways to decarcerate. Um, we could talk about, you know, jail diversion programs, better support for substance use disorders, um, economic support, social safety net programs. Um, but you know, aside from decarceration, uh, I think our work is also showing that that these families really need a lot of help. They need a lot of support. Um, they're taking a huge toll from having a family member incarcerated, um, and there are more things that we can do to support them materially um, to to support their physical health, supporting their mental health, providing more resources, counseling, um, more community resources for for them to get support, um, uh, job opportunities, uh, housing, uh, basically building up the social safety net, uh, but especially for for this this group that's affected so strongly by their family members being incarcerated.
3: And Doctor, you know, Rochette and I have covered uh, incarceration um, both as as reporters in the field and and also you know with the podcast. Um, and you know, in the previous uh, segment here, you know, we sort of described it as it's not just one person you put in a cage; it's it's you know, and our guest said ex- exponential. So I'd really just like to to really flesh that out more for for people because I feel that this aspect of the mass incarceration crisis rarely gets mentioned. The family rarely gets mentioned, you know, and that's why Rashad, I, we, we find this report so, so important. Um, so please, if you could just, again, just, just talk about how um, when you take whoever it is, male or female, and, and you put them in a cage, some of those consequences to the, to the other family members.
4: Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's it's often invisible um, to to people who haven't experienced it firsthand, um, and and so when we look at the the total pie chart of the the U.S. population, it's roughly three hundred and thirty million um, individuals in our country. Um, the The data set that we used, the the initial team that had collected that data, their their findings were showing that it's you know roughly forty five percent of all Americans with an immediate family member incarcerated, and Around sixty-three percent um, of African Americans who've had uh, family or incarcerated. So when you when you take sixty-three percent of three hundred and thirty million, that's that's almost there's well over one hundred fifty million people right there. Um, wow. It's one hundred and fifty million people um, multiplied by um, this profound impact on on every aspect of their life. And and just to put it into perspective, um, you know, so when we when we calculate these these life expectancy projections. Um, you know, for, for an individual having 2.6 years lower life expectancy um, uh, projection from an immediate family member incarcerated, um, that's that's similar to being incarcerated yourself, um, wow. which is, that, that, that's incredible. mind-blowing to me. It's incredible. Um, and, and it compounds from there that, you know, people have multiple family members incarcerated, um, and it only gets worse. So um, what our data is showing is that if you've had three or more immediate family is incarcerated. That's, that's equivalent to almost four years of life um, expectancy reduction. That's, that's equivalent to having a heart attack. Um, And so it's, it's such a huge toll and and it really can't be understated Um, multiplied by just how many millions and millions of people over 150 million people who um, are likely in this group. Um, You know, it's, it's tragic and, and, and it's, really sobering to think about how this unfolds in our society and in every aspect, you know, the finance, when when we talk about our healthcare system falling apart, this is, this is at the roots of that too. You know, we have to grapple with um, criminal justice when we talk about health justice and health equity Um, bridging that divide and health disparities between black and white Americans. um, This is a large part of that. Um, the, The role of incarceration and all the effects on, on, Uh, family life, uh, finances, and uh, the fabric of community. Uh,
2: And, and Doctor, just really quick before we let you go, um, when was this research conducted? I'm just wondering um, if it was before or after COVID, because we all saw with COVID just uh, people were shut out from their families. They they couldn't visit them personally. There was difficulties getting in touch. So I'm just wondering um, what impact COVID may have had on this research, if any.
4: Yeah, yeah. So, so this data was all collected before COVID. Um, the data itself were, were collected from uh, 2018. Um, and it was analyzed around like 2019, 2020. Um, so all this was pre COVID. But, you know, a lot of these issues only get further compounded by the pandemic itself. Um, yeah. and, and there've been a lot of people working really hard to uh, to get people out of prisons and, and back into their communities back into their um, homes. Um, because just the social isolation and and, and all these negative effects of being in the middle of a global pandemic where it's so hard to even just survive and get by on your own. It's just that much harder when you have a family member who is locked up and and behind bars.
2: Um, Just amazing work that you and um, your uh, your team did the, the other researchers and authors, uh, Dr. Uh, Sundarash. We really appreciate it. How can people get their hands on this? As journalists, we're always trying to find studies and reports, but we know the general population um, isn't as adept at it. So, how can people learn more about this?
4: Yeah, so uh, th- there's a lot of ways to to learn more. Um, you know, you can find our study by looking at you know JAMA Network, um, searching for you know Sundarash uh, family member incarceration. You can look it up there. Um, my, uh, my mentor, Dr. Emily Wong, um, is in charge of the, the stage center for health and justice at, uh, Yale school of medicine. Um, that's another great resource, um, to find, um, a lot of different initiatives to, uh, address mass incarceration in our country. Um, and then also just talking to people. I think what our, what our data is showing is that it's just so common. <laughs> yeah. um, you probably know people in your social network who've been affected by this and, and listening to them and, and, and understanding what their experiences have been um is is another way to just better get plugged into to to how how this is affecting our country. Because it's 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 in our backyard. It's in our communities and it's likely affecting people you already know. Hmm.
2: Wow. Well Dr. Sandarush we really appreciate you coming on today and just um going over this research. Thank you so much. And we look forward to seeing what else you produce in the future.
4: Absolutely thanks so much. Thanks right. for having take care. me. Care. take care.
1: Thank you, Doctor what a fantastic angle. Again, as someone who has a family member myself who's been incarcerated for some time uh you know pseudo family member brother from another mother uh but family nonetheless uh it's it's really i have personally been very affected by his incarceration and i i and i'm not a direct family member but i know his family his family i know them this is my family in a way and i know i know it i feel it um and and as we talk about so often how important it is to take the things that we kind of know anecdotally you know that we know that we feel in our gut and apply uh science and data and research to those uh, to those feelings and so i was very uh, uh intrigued and impressed by this uh report so yeah wow
2: yeah mind blowing stuff to even i mean we we've, we've talked to people who sort of you know i guess Talked around the edges of these kind of issues before, yeah. right? But never this direct with data. I, 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 he brought it up, Chris, when you asked that last question. But I was gonna, I didn't want us to gloss over the two point six mm. um, less years on average of your life because of someone who's incarcerated or formerly incarcerated, and that he talked about. If you have more than one person in your family incarcerated, how that j- jumps up even higher. Um, so yeah, I hope policymakers. Get their hands on this research and start doing something about it
1: i mean we, we just talked about four thousand people in the first segment who are yeah. early released because of covid but now going to get sent back folks that are you know first step eligible you know like they, you don't right. have to put them back in. they they didn't necessarily have to be there in the first place i don't care if you're a staunch you know advocate for incarceration uh but if you've let people out and they're not causing any trouble and they're not doing anything crazy, Uh, it doesn't make sense to then say, okay, COVID's over, put them back in jail. That's, first of all, COVID's not over. That's ridiculous. But to do that, just just that, just being out then in, like you're exact. And so the 4,000 people, and if both these gentlemen are correct in that it affects family members on an exponential basis, you're talking about tens of thousands of people that are affected by this very, uh easy to uh change directive alone yeah. much less the greater criminal justice system uh a, a, you know a, at large
3: yeah uh just final note for me i mean i found both of those interviews incredibly profound and you know testament to the doctor's findings uh you know with with uh, i guess 60% within the African-American community, 50% overall. I mean, two out of the four people on that call, um, you know, have family members uh, incarcerated for an extended, extended amount of time. And for me, you know, and, and you know, I, for Manny, for any, anyone listening who, who has been incarcerated or has family members um, who are incarcerated, when you're in that experience, you don't think of these things. You just do what you got to do to survive, and and it's so it's sort of shocking, you know. It, again, I said profound, you know, to to see a report that comes in and says, oh, yeah, by the way, like you know, um, this has serious freaking effects, yeah, on on you as a family member. And in fact, it's going to lessen how long you're on this planet. That's great. you know, and 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 so I would implore those listening and those watching who, who, who do know someone incarcerated to check out that report. Cause you're going to learn a lot about yourself. You're going to learn a lot about the people that you love around you. And you're probably going to learn some things in there that are going to help you. So just incredible stuff. Yeah.
1: Once again, uh, I just want to uh, compliment you both uh, for not only, you know, Recognizing the stories that we need to help tell on this show. Uh finding the folks who are so incredible at speaking on these topics, you know what I mean? Um like I'm surprised like you guys delve into it during the week and then we do the show and I do all the technical stuff and I come and I be flashy and have nice headphones. But I learned so much uh from watching. I knew we were gonna hear
3: about the headphones.
1: Had to
2: bring it back. I had to bring it back. Um, look, look. So I got. I just got new glasses, so I'm I was compl- a little offended because these are brand new. These are like two days old. I'm complimenting you, know, in no
1: you guys in your, in your in your competence, but oh, okay. I, obviously I'm the I'm the peacock of the family. So you know what I mean. I think, like I think
3: if Lewis would have seen this, maybe he would.
1: <laughs> the Albania flag. I mean, I don't know. Shouts to, shout to Albania. Shouts shout to, 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 to Tirana. But uh, um. I I want to compliment you guys. I want to remind people who are listening uh, on the podcast feed that you can actually engage in these shenanigans with us uh, Wednesdays live at 8 p.m. Eastern on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch. You can find out more information about these shows at usnewsbeat.com slash watch. Um, And of course we go deeper into these uh, topics. We've covered mass incarceration in great depth on, on Newsbeat, the podcast, Uh, We've delved into specifically the effects of coronavirus on the incarcerated population in America, our our friends, neighbors, and family members that are incarcerated. Uh, We've delved delved into these topics in great detail. So if you catch this tonight and say, wow, these guys are really on it because they know who to talk to, well, we've been doing this. Uh, We will continue to do this both on the podcast and on this show weekly, uh, and of course, uh, once again, thanks to the New York Press Club for recognizing our work in doing so, as Newsbeat Podcast has been named the 2021 Journalism Podcast of the Year, with our, uh, specifically with our episode, uh, Hashtag Say Her Name, Confronting 400 Years of State Violence Against Black Women. Uh and girls, it's an amazing uh ride that we've been on uh telling these stories. We get to do it here every week. Gentlemen, any uh what what are we gonna get into as we wrap up this show? Uh we we skip some news bites. I'd like to circle back to them if that's cool with you and we can get out of here. Um
2: is that cool with you? Let's hit it.
1: All right. Uh I mean I was do I have to well, your
2: your bite was us being awesome, right? That's true, and I. So and I, it's just I, me, Chris, <laughs> and I. Wait, and my I. My bite. My my bite is gonna reiterate
3: Lewis's bite, which was. Props to the props to the gear.
2: All right. Oh. Well, so I'm how about joking. we say this? How about we tell we we openly tell people we're gonna re-release say her name. So since it's pertinent, since we're talking about it, I like We we'll re-release that baby, yeah, and we'll let people listen. I think that's a after great they idea. listen to this.
1: I think that's a great idea. We're going to re-release that episode, our award-winning episode. We're going to follow up with a this week in social justice dedicated to that topic, to that episode, perhaps with some of the voices that we heard in that episode mm-hmm. uh, in the very near future. I'm not sure exactly when this will happen, uh, but we're going to do that. Um, so that's going to be our um, our. We are awesome, but we are we are not awesome for us. We are awesome because of the stories and the people that we center uh, uh, in our um, in our reporting. So uh kudos to everyone involved in that episode you don't hear our voices in the episode you hear us here we get to kind of you know ruffle you know ruffle our feathers and 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 and, and what do you call it when you boast, uh, boast peacocking your, your chest you you ah, what's the word i peacocking for? yeah we get to do that we get to do that here Thump <laughs> <From> your <laughs> chest yes but yeah that <laughs> but in but in the episodes it's all business and you don't hear from us you only hear the voices this is this
0: why
2: people need to watch this is this why people is need to watch I, I was
1: doing the, and i'm not a king kong fan i'm godzilla all over team godzilla anyway um but yet but yet Rashad, you did have a news bite that i think was relevant and i'd like sure. to talk about it real quick all right Leah, uh, let
2: me hit that let me hit that really quick and maybe we'll get into it longer um during a different show because it's very it is i, know, I think it's really important so please daniel hale speak on it wait let me do the thing I just want to get to a comment that we had really quick on YouTube. Oh, okay. Did we forget Biden authored the racist 1994 crime bill? We did not ah. forget. Uh, Lewis actually mentioned that when he was circling back to holding Biden accountable, right. how mass incarceration um, is a result of his, like, let's say it. He, I mean, he was one of the chief spokespeople for that piece of legislation when it was on Capitol Hill helping Bill Bill Clinton, get it across uh, the aisle and have it signed uh, by the then president. So, yeah, we did not forget Lewis mentioned it and there's definitely uh, long lasting consequences of the 1994 crime bill. And Biden obviously still has to answer for that. Um, the news bite that we were talking about. Uh, so Daniel Hale um, is a whistleblower who uh, leaked um, drone papers. Uh, well, sort of slides about what's going on with America's drone uh, warfare and uh, allegedly leaked it to the Intercept. Um, The Intercept doesn't claim to have received those papers because as a journalism outlet, they never actually are going to say where they got it from, who they got it from, or confirm that. But this was huge. And Daniel Hale's probably one of the most important whistleblowers you've never heard of in your entire life. Um, Even though as... These leaks were coming out a few years ago. People were calling him the the so called second Snowden. Um, you know, he had his different reasons for leaking um, this this important information, which was classified, and it revealed uh, uh, the massive drone um, uh, the the legalized, I guess, drone system that we had in this country. Um, and it was something that really started with George Bush, um, but was um, amplified by Barack Obama while he was in president Obama, really is responsible um, for really bolstering um, this program. And also that's not all we learned just about, you know, the, the secret details of um, drone warfare in this country. We also learned about the secret um, watch list that they had Mm. um, and kill list that went all the way up to um, Obama's desk um, and how people ended up on those watch lists and the legality of that. Um, If you guys remember, um uh, American citizens uh were killed by the US government with drones. And even though you know peop- they, those people are obviously going to be called terrorists, um, there you ha- we we as a country need to deal with the fact that um our government um without getting legal justification in in terms of like uh arresting someone via the courts or whatever, right. um kill people with weapons. Um so uh, definitely look up Daniel Hale. Um, he's been, He was sentenced to 45 months in prison. We just talked about Reality Winner, who um, leaked information about um, how Russia was, uh, was potentially trying to hack um, certain aspects of different states' election systems. So um, there's an ongoing war on journalism in this country. And when we, we don't want to just say that to talk about ourselves as reporters, when there's an ongoing war on journalism, it creates a chilling effect where people, potentially sources, are become afraid of leaking important information to the public. And without that information, uh, the American citizenry um, is unable, unable to make judgments for themselves of what our government should be doing in our names.
1: Yeah, 100%. And we've talked about it in depth. I think one of the episodes uh, that's important is the Espionage Act and the Battle for the Free, Free Press. Uh, we've talked about a couple of other episodes. We've talked about these issues in a couple of other episodes, uh, at least three or four episodes where we've talked about uh, the attack on either journalism or whistleblowers, uh, whistleblowers which then – ultimately leaked to journalists you know in in most cases uh this is a great th- a great thing to bring up uh most i, I think this is you you phrase this in the lead up to this episode as the whistleblower most people have never heard of
2: yeah i don't think anybody's i actually encourage everybody to obviously read the original uh pieces from the intercept but um sure new york magazine i think did an amazing profile um on daniel Hare, Hale. and i don't know if i shared the link with you um, but if people just Google it, New York Magazine, Daniel Hale, yeah. it really just gives it paints a picture of what he was thinking. And if I may, just to close out the show, yeah, um, I will read what he actually told the court when he was being sentenced because I think it's profound and it really speaks to why he felt like he had to do it. Is this so the this letter? is in di- yeah, this is the letter. But I'm reading it from the in- an Intercept story. Okay. Um, so Daniel told the judge. "Quote: I am here because I stole something that we that was never mine to take, precious human life. Obviously, turning it around, Mm. stealing documents, saying stealing life. I couldn't help living. I couldn't keep living in a world in which people pretend that things weren't happening that were. Please, your honor, forgive me for taking papers instead of human lives. Um, Mm. You know, I think that's profound. What he's saying, he's." um, Saying you need to judge, you could judge me, but we also need to look at the consequences of what our government is doing.
3: hundred percent. yeah, and
2: I, I just want to add,
3: um, you know, and you just you just showed a quick flash of it, but um, that eleven page letter that he wrote to the judge, I read most of it prior to the show. And if you really want to get some insight into you know why he would risk, you know, I think the original sentence where he was facing was eleven years in right. prison um, to 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 get this out to the public, It's all laid out there. I mean, it goes into, into such horrific detail. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, really he, he, he was hearing one thing from the president himself and he was actually executing a completely other thing. Um, and so he felt that the public was being lied to and it obviously was costing thousands upon thousands of civilian lives. And, uh, he and again, graphic detail in some of those anecdotes. And
1: again, this is not, this is something we've covered on multiple occasions from Chelsea Manning to reality winter to Daniel Hale to the espionage act. I, I want to shout out. I just want to do this. Uh, uh, Patrick's time has been weighing in a lot. This, this episode, uh, and quoting the espionage act, the Obama administration specifically. And again, I, I briefly flashed our episode about that. I don't know if Patrick's time listens to the podcast or is just tuning into the, but can, can you guys just, I know we we're almost out of time. Uh, please emphasize the work that you've done uh, specifically looking into the espionage act as a tool uh, to silence uh, the free press.
2: Yeah. Um, Definitely, that the Espionage Act, as we documented that episode that you're showing on the screen, um, was originally meant uh, to go after spies during World War One. It's that old of a law, Um, and it initially was used um, to actually go after socialists, right? You know what the government deemed political enemies—people who were speaking out against the war Um, effort—for decades, um, journalists weren't attacked. Um, There was Um, At one point, they tried to go after the Chicago Tribune, I want to say, for information that was leaked about uh, World War II. Um, And then, obviously, we had Daniel Ellsberg, and that's when this really kicked off this war, um, which then evolved. And again, um, Obama, who was responsible for amplifying um, the drone wars and the civilian casualties associated with that, He, as um, Patrick, I think is quoting, uh, he, it was his administration that charged more people under the Espionage Act than any other presidential administration combined. And one reason that when we were doing the good old print paper um, before the podcast, we were trying to beat the drum about it. Chris and I were in DC covering these things, we were in Maryland covering Chelsea Manning's trial when so many journalists decided to ignore it. We were in the courtroom. um, In the courtroom, physically. Uh,
1: Out of how many journalists in the Chelsea Manning Court Martial, how many journalist outlets were there?
2: Uh, Less than a dozen for one of the most important stories of our generation. Y'all
1: were there. Just wanted to give y'all props. Keep going.
2: Um, So, yeah, what I was going to say is that the reason we do this is because people had trust in obama right there was just for some reason people just trusted him right so if he was doing something bad people were trying to brush it off the shoulder what we were trying to say is if one guy does it he sets a precedent for other presidents yep. to do the same thing or make or even worse and then trump came along and he also uh, executed uh a horrific campaign against journalists um i think i i might be wrong but almost equaling the amount of people prosecuted um during the Obama years. So when we talk about these things, you might not like it because of sort of political um, reasons, but you just don't want the next person um, to do the same thing or, or make it even worse.
1: Right. So I do want to point out, like I said, Patrick's time. Thank you for your comments. We appreciate the interaction. We appreciate your comments. We agree with a lot of what you're saying, apparently. Uh, but again, uh, if you haven't already, and for anyone else listening, the importance of whistleblowers slash the free press is a, is a topic that really hits home with us. Uh, with um, uh, uh, the literal, the Chelsea Manning episode, uh, collateral, collateral murder. Uh was the name of our episode, the one I have on the screen right now, Enemy of the American People, the U.S. government's war on journalism and press freedom. Uh, the one I showed before, which was uh, espion- okay, Espionage <laughs> Act and the Battle for the Free Press. This is a, 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 a topic that is recurring for us. We've covered it in the past and in great uh, detail and in such a compelling manner. And so we're talking about these things. This week in social justice, they 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 flitter across the screen. But please take time to go check out our full podcast. They are like documentaries uh, mixed with music. And in in those two episodes, we actually have our some of our uh, incredible independent hip hop artists that amplify the message in such a unique, compelling way uh, that uh, it not only sticks with you and uh, not only helps explain the issue in every man's terms uh it not only uh does it, it kind of paints a picture but it happens to be award winning and people seem to like it so we encourage you to check out our podcast feed the newsbeat podcast wherever you find podcasts uh Spotify Apple podcast newsbeat two words news beat two words one love and we're out here doing this work uh, i appreciate you gentlemen for that uh dedication to the uh amplification of the issues of the free press. Too many people walk around with this blinders on, the media, fake news, the media's garbage. And yeah, we have a lot of issues with mainstream media. We talk about them on this show and uh, you know, behind the scenes a lot. Uh, but you guys really cut to the core of where journalism as an institution, as that fourth estate is threatened uh, by the very government that, the fourth estate exists
2: sure.
1: to uh, to hold in check. Uh, so I really appreciate your work. I've learned so much from y'all and I know that our listeners and our watchers have too. So thank you for that news beat and the little bit of a rabbit hole that it led to. I think it's super freaking important. Um, that being said, uh, Chris, I know we're really late, but you want to give your update real quick and then we'll move on.
3: I mean, sure. Let's um, go. I'll just try to do it real quick. Um, shed wants
1: to watch the draft or something. I'm, I don't know. It, it, you know, it, it, real, real, real quick. My wife wants to
2: go to sleep. I think real quick,
1: <laughs> real that quick. Too. Yes, um, it's important.
3: Yeah, it's it's important to stay on top of the story, and this is the story of residential schools. Uh, those horrific, uh, hellish, uh, really death camps that uh, were across uh, Canada. Uh, other countries too. And hours. Uh, that uh, in Canada, specifically over 150,000 indigenous children were stolen and put in there and tortured, sexually abused. Thousands never made it home. And just recently you might've seen the headlines. There are three uh, mass graveyards and, and, and fields of unmarked graves yep. at three, at three different these, there were over a hundred of these death camps. and um, this story real quick that I saw that i I would like to share is is just that uh, a tribe in Manitoba is is calling and screaming and pleading for massive criminal investigations into all of the schools and uh, you know it's just sobering to continue reading the article and find out that there's only been one launched uh, in that province and mm-hmm. and um, and they're being very they're safeguarding they're very 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 tight lipped about about if anyone will ever you know, be named or anything like that. Because remember these schools existed up until the nineties, 1990s. That's crazy. So that's crazy. Um, if you're just,
1: this- oh, no, it says if you're just learning about, uh, this topic, uh, you know, we're speaking to people who are regular listeners, but if you're just understanding that for the first time, uh, do a little bit of research on the residential schools, uh, in Canada. Also in the United States had some part to play in this. We're delving into this in greater detail. Uh, but these stories, uh, have been breaking recently and they are, um, horrific.
3: Yeah. Um, and just that second story that, uh, with the clip there, um, that's tied to it is, is so, you know, you can say investigation, 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 and there needs to be uh, massive investigation just as this tribe is calling for. Uh, but this article, this guardian article, uh, was the first I saw that, that, uh, really delved into just what, just what that's going to entail. And it's, it is going to be, you know, biblical in proportions. Um, you know, this is a forensic uh, pathologist who was interviewed. She happens to be indigenous and she just lays it out and, and, You know, you you think about just what it takes to identify remains, you know, Mm. um, that have been, you know, that have been buried for even a couple months, let alone, you know, a couple decades, and then identifying these poor children, because these children, as soon as they got into these schools, for the listeners and the viewers who may not know, their hair was cut, and they were, they were, their, the name that they were given at birth was erased, they were named after a saint, or given a number,
1: Oh the Catholic Church was
3: totally behind this in a lot of cases, right? 100%. Yeah. 100% and and um you know so so forensically how do you identify mm. all of these children? You know you have to take samples from tribes who are living. You have to take uh, DNA samples from each of these. Where do you keep that? How do you store that safely? Mm. How do you how do you store that from getting contaminated? Once you identify someone, what do you do then? Do you take the remains and store them somewhere else? Do you do you bring them back to have a, a formal burial on their on their their ancestral lands? Mm. Uh, some tribes want that. Some tribes don't. Some tribes—it's never even been presented. You know, all of these all of these things. You know, where are the bodies going to be stored? You know, you know who's going to pay for this? So it's just incredible. It needs to be done. And these ants. What I loved about the story is it asks these. These these incredible questions. And at the end of the day, these questions need answers. Yeah. And this needs to get done. Yeah. yeah. So those are those were my two news bites. I appreciate
1: uh that information. Uh we're saying goodnight to Rashad, who signed off uh taking off a little bit early tonight. Uh I mean early. We're late, so he's taking off on time. We're still going. Uh much love to Rashad. Uh and thank you, Chris, for staying on top of the story. There are you know, we talk, uh, I'm just going to wax politically for 20 seconds. We talk so much about what we do at Newsbeat and what we do at This Week in Social Justice about covering the stories that don't get the attention that they need. I watch cable news. I watch, I read the, you know, the online things I and I've subscribed to the New York Times. You'll catch some of this stuff if you're really, lo- if you're looking for this, you can find it deep in the crevices of media. But this residential school, and we're not in Canada, so obviously we don't, as Americans, we don't give two shits about Canada on a regular basis. Like, who cares? You know, like, no, the regular person, right? We don't get the news. We don't understand what's happening up there. We don't pay attention to it like they pay attention to us because obviously America, America, we're the center of everything. But it's so... It's so disheartening. It's so uh, revelatory. This, these stories that you're bringing to light, I followed up on them. We have our friends at other podcasts that we know are covering these topics. Shouts to Unfucking the Republic, uh, You know who's covering some of these things in, in different, from a different angle. Um, I didn't, I'm a regular guy and I pay... I'm a, I'm a news guy. You know I'm a news guy. I rock with y'all. I'm a news guy. I pay attention to these things. I would have never known about this if it wasn't for us.
3: Yeah, look, it's it's a blessing we get to do this, and and uh, we strive you know, to to show these underreported stories, and not even just uh, underreported, ignored yeah, stories, hundred percent. And that's what we do. So, and it's not
1: just Canada. There's a part that the, the United States had to play in all of this, and we're getting to that as well. So, stick with us, please. Pay attention to us. Uh, we know what we're doing. This isn't a joke. This isn't a game. Uh, we 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 we're on top of these things. We've been on top of them for a long time. And Chris, thank you for really like sticking with this one and 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 taking us through it. Uh, for regular listeners who have been watching or listening over time, uh, I'm sure you appreciate it as much as I do. Um, very quickly, uh, Rochette has left us uh, in the fold, whereas in the past you have been abducted by UFOs. Uh, Rochette has been abducted by life. Um, I don't, I do want to just let you take us out with your, uh, combination of news beating the past and news beating the future, uh, recognizing and giving, uh, props to the late, great
3: Robert Moses.
1: Wait a minute. Not
3: that Robert Moses. Yeah. Um, just real quick. And the the other
1: Robert Moses.
3: Yeah, I mean, and this is really, really quick, but truthfully, yeah. we should probably have an entire episode dedicated uh, to to this, Bob Moses. Um, but a civil rights icon uh, just recently passed. Uh, he was uh, he's been dubbed in the in the past couple of days. You know the 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 civil rights hero that you never heard, you know you most likely never heard of, or most Americans never heard of. Yep. He pretty much uh, orchestrated uh, the fe- the Freedom Bus Drive in 1964 in the in the summer. Of freedom, uh, the Freedom Summer, where um, you know thousands of uh, of folks from the north went down to the south, specifically Mississippi, to help um, um, the 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 voting uh, voting rights there. Right, um, and there was much much violence. There were there were three activists, notably who uh, disappeared uh, later. Their bodies had been found. They were murdered. Um, just three of so many murders that took place. Uh, to try to uh, suppress african Americans in this country yep and um and yeah, i mean just I just thought it was uh you know his his work uh, helped lead to the uh, Voting rights Act uh being passed um and the attention that he brought to the struggle there um and there's the Atlantic piece, the quiet courage of bob moses he's he's yep. often been um, recognized as that silent voice. Sort of controlling things from, from the back. He wasn't the Martin Luther King who was out in front of the cameras and the microphone. You know, um, right. he did the grunt work. Right. He was there in the field. You know, right. that's not to say you know obviously, uh, MLK did the grunt work as well. But sure. Um, no. But yeah. Bob Moses, um, the unsung hero. There you go. Yeah. So that's the past and the future. This Thank week. you
1: for that, Chris. I really appreciate that. Uh, you know, his passing. Uh, you know, again, barely. You know, blink of an eye. When it comes to you know mainstream media, uh, certainly there are outlets that have covered it in greater detail uh, than you would find on your normal you know CNN, MSNBC, Fox News for sure. Um, you know nightly kind of glance on uh, on your TV screen. So thank you for again picking those uh, items as the uh, past and the future uh, for us. We think it's certainly important to remember those who came before. Uh, the work they did to help inspire those who are working uh, currently and in the future. So rest in peace to the late, great Bob Moses. Uh, if you want to be inspired, if you want to, if you really feel that social justice and civil rights and voting rights and all the things are important to you, uh, let's not just uh, hashtag on our social networks. Let's look into and read the articles and watch the videos and learn about the work of people like Bob Moses, uh, who uh, certainly left a blueprint us to follow so that's it this well week said. is social justice thank you uh this week is social justice. my man, my name is manny faces uh, and uh, on behalf of Rashid Mian, our managing editor, who dipped out uh, but did uh, a ton of work to get this show together, as he does every week. Uh, Chris Dawarski, you, sir, uh, as the rock of our organization. Thank you again, the editor-in-chief of Newsbeat and this week of Social Justice, to the Maury Creative Studios team, uh, to everyone behind the scenes uh, helping us make these things possible. And once again, thank you to the New York Press Club who dubbed the Newsbeat Podcast, Say Her Name, confronting 400 years of state violence against black women and girls uh, as the 2021 journalism podcast episode of the year. Of the year. New York Times is in that cohort. They produce a lot of podcasts. Uh, The New Yorker, uh, New York Magazine, NY1. Bloomberg, uh, WNYC, which is a radio station that works with NPR and makes some of the, listen, WNYC does some great podcasts. They do some great work. And we won over them. Uh, Thank you to them and to those judges, whoever is behind that, for recognizing the work we do. We come from a different angle. We come from a hip-hop mindset. We come from an alternative journalism mindset. And to me personally, when you combine those two things, the way that hip-hop folk look at the world, the way that alternative journalists look at the world, the way that investigative journalists look at the world, oh boy, we are uncovering and we see things in a whole different light. It's like the Matrix up in this piece. Uh, And (laughs) uh, and and,
3: go ahead. Yeah, no, just final note on that. Obviously, again, huge... Huge honor, um, and we've said this in the previous episode, uh, the the honor, though, uh, goes to the sources. Yep. Uh, we're dedicating this award to them, Michelle Jacobs and Andrea Ritchie. We're going to have an extended show with them back on there, um, and also, and perhaps most importantly, you know, for whatever it's worth, you know. Uh, you know, I consider this award dedicated to the victims and the survivors 100%. of that brutality that continues to this day. And and for me, uh, at the minimum, what this does is maybe someone is going to check out that episode and they're going to learn about the Say Her Name campaign and they're going to get involved. Yeah, this you know, we're going to the- learn about the stories behind these names.
1: Right. And and both both of those guests are affiliated with organizations that are doing the work to for you know to fight these injustices and to bring attention to these travesties that have plagued our nation uh, since its founding uh, and again uh, as much as we uh, criticize this nation we know that the potential is there for us to be the nation that we were destined to be and if we could just confront and and work with these issues uh in the way that our guests and our advocates and our activists and the people that we center in our episodes are teaching us how to do, we will indeed uh, be the nation we were destined to be. So yes, I agree with you, all love and respect do to those who participate in our episodes. We are but vessels uh, to carry forth the uh, stories and the issues that need to be brought to the forefront. And we thank you for paying attention to us. If you're watching or you're listening or you're sharing, please share this. If you like what we do, don't just keep it to yourself. We don't want to be the best kept. I hate that person. The best kept secret. That's stupid. I don't want to be the best kept secret. I don't want to be a secret. Don't let us be a secret wants to be the best kept. i hate that i hate it you shouldn't be a secret don't say that i'm the best kept secret please don't we don't want to be a secret please share this right now right now whatever you're watching just share oh my god these guys are great uh because it's not us we are really telling the stories and centering the stories of others. Thank you so much for watching us. Uh, thanks to Rashid. Thanks to you, Chris. We'll be back next week, Wednesday, 8 p.m. Eastern. Or you can follow these shows on the Newsbeat podcast feed. Go wherever you could find podcasts. If you're not into podcasts, literally, wherever you're watching this, just hit me. Just say, Manny, I don't know how to do a podcast. I don't know nothing about podcasts. What? How do I listen to what you do? And we'll teach you, we'll show you. But if you are in the pod, if you know a little bit about podcasts, go to Spotify, search for Newsbeat, two words. This says this week is Social Justice, but it's all under the Newsbeat umbrella. Uh, Go to Apple Podcasts, Newsbeat, two words. You'll see the little fist with the logo and the whole thing. You'll find us, you'll follow us, you'll subscribe, you'll listen. We got some amazing full-length episodes coming out. Oh my God, the stuff we're working on, the stories we're working on, the voices we're bringing to you, uh, the the issues we're covering are going to blow your minds. Uh, we are not just the 2021 uh, journalism podcast of the year uh, for, for no reason. We're going to keep it going. We're working with y'all. And we appreciate y'all. Hit us up. Let us know what you think. Uh, thanks to Patrick's time. Thanks to everyone tuned in and watching with us tonight. I guess we're out of here until next week. This week is social justice. Uh, peace. We're out. Peace. Peace, peace.